So it's, it's really good to be with you. I've been looking forward to this opportunity for a long time. Uh, what I'm going to be going through today, there will be things from technical to fairly easy. The technical, if you just capture the overall picture, I don't care if you remember the details or not, but the overall picture hopefully will be informative. In part, I'm going to be kind of sharing my experience. I was educated totally within the Seventh-day Adventist Church through a Master of Divinity at Andrews and then an MA at Andrews and uh, then went to Catholic University to work on a doctorate. When I got to Catholic University, I discovered that my manner of thinking was not that much different from their manner of thinking. Now the doctrines, of course, were very different. But the way we thought was very similar. That was quite shocking to me, and I'll, I'll uh, share that with you. And uh, fortunately, we have Ellen White, and she led me back to Scripture, and I discovered that my way of thinking was humanistic instead of biblically orientated. And I suspect that I'm not alone in that kind of experience. In fact, I've discovered as I've gone around the world that uh, it's fairly common to have been taught to think within the contemporary culture that you live in and not recognize that that manner of thinking is not necessarily a biblical manner of thinking. And so I want to start with uh, a few tools to, to try to get our thinking process going here uh, so that we can uh, try to understand some of the materials that are coming later, but uh, I see someone with a smile here. Tell me about the artist of this piece of art. Okay, very detailed. You liked wood? Okay. It's a cultural expression. Okay. Probably, okay, his or her, good, okay, because we started with his, so, okay, his or her hand tools. Anyone else? Something that impressed them, okay, okay, creative. Pardon? You see sorrow? Okay. Okay. Now we have a lot to go over today. I, I would enjoy working a little bit longer on this particular illustration. But let me ask you, how many of you feel like you know the artist by discussing the piece of art? If you cross paths on a path out here, you wouldn't know him. Okay. Wouldn't know him or her. Uh, now, you know, we said uh, he likes wood, he's a wood carver, uses hand tools, likely, it's a cultural expression. So we know something about the artist, but we don't know the artist. Um, so if we wanted to know the artist, what would we do? 
Pardon? Spend time with him or her, okay? Yeah, so we would, uh, we could send him or her a ticket and he could come and address this group and tell us about himself. We could, you know, have lunch together and so on and so forth. Or we could give you a ticket and you could go and get acquainted with the artist and you could come back and tell us about the artist. Okay, but by just looking at the piece of art, we don't know the artist. Uh, we know characteristics about the artist, but we don't know the artist, him or herself. Okay, now I've got a much easier illustration. Tell me about the artist of the flowers. Very colorful, okay, so he or she or whatever likes color, okay. Okay, so you want to tell us it's God, okay. Loves the details, okay. And the deeper we get into this, the more detail we'll discover. Some fantastic detail, yes. <laughs> he, he knew women would love it, okay. Particularly when it gets close to Valentine's Day. Okay. Pardon? Okay, okay. Very good. Oh, well, that's a good point. Appreciation for the aesthetic. Okay. Not pure, it's okay, not purely functional. So, good. Yes. Oh, okay, the artist, well, now that might be somebody else. <laughs> okay, somebody's clipping the leaves and, and keep, keeping it in order. Okay, okay. The artist likes life. The artist likes life, okay. Okay, made it to be enjoyed by a variety of human senses. Creative and has the power to create life. Okay, okay. So we've talked about uh, enjoyment of of the color, uh, appealing to the senses, appealing particularly to to women, uh, fine detail bringing in some things from other groups, uh, you know, kind of an architect, an engineer. Um, he loves the beautiful, loves us because he's given us such beautiful things. The creator of life, the sustainer of life. And of course, again, if we had time, we could go on and on and on uh, describing that uh, the artist. Now I'd like you to uh, tell me about the artist of this piece of art. We just said the creator, the giver of life, the sustainer of life, loves the beautiful, uh, appealing to women. Uh, 
a designer, master designer, architect. What do we know about the artist by looking at the piece of art? This piece. Pardon? This piece. What do we know about the artist? Yeah. Well, can you really separate this piece from this piece? Time. Okay, there's death. Okay, so this artist, this, this, this sustainer, the giver and sustainer of life, all of a sudden we're discovering there, there's death that's part of that. Okay. 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 So there are other factors that come into play here. Very good. We need more context. Okay. 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 Yes. This one here? Okay. And that was kind of the stroke of the luck. That was the only way to get it looking that way in time. Because <laughs> if it was just simply in its natural state, what would it eventually do? Would it wilt and die and the petals would drop off? Yes. Okay, even the thing that looks no good is beautiful. Okay, now let's, let's, let's say you'd never touched the Bible. We're, we're just looking objectively at this piece of art. We are going to assume that there was a God that's responsible for that, for this, which is an assumption. Okay, what can we say about God by looking at the piece of art? Pardon? Okay, requires more context for us to understand it. Okay. But just looking at the piece of art without that context. A great teacher. Okay. He's got a problem. Okay. Beauty is fading. Okay. So. Could we say that there are a bunch of good gods and a bunch of bad gods? Is that a possibility by looking at the flowers? Okay, that's a possibility. And so you better get on the side of these gods here, otherwise you're going to look like this. And we might, you know, this maybe looks okay when it's dried, but we may not look quite so good when we're dried. Just go take a look at King Tut. Okay, so many gods. Or we could say there's one God, or two gods, a good God and a bad God. Is that a possibility? Can we say that somehow the universe can create within itself? Is that a possibility? I mean, yeah, I mean, we can't rule that out, can we? That, that's a possibility, okay? Okay. Or can, can we say that God created and then went to some other part of the universe and really doesn't care what happens down here right now. That, that's a possibility. Deus have taken 
that route. Uh, or we can take the biblical perspective that God created wonderful and good and that sin is responsible for this. But we, we can't tell the difference simply by looking at the piece of art. Now notice we, have, we were able to talk about characteristics of this artist, right? But we didn't know the artist himself or, her, or herself. Okay, we were able to talk about characteristics about God, but we don't really know God, him or herself, or even if there is a God. The, the agnostic looks at this and says, hmm, you mean God can create the eye of the eagle so it can see the mouse a mile down and go down and fetch it? He created us with all of our wonderful capabilities, and we have Auschwitz and Dachau. I'm not interested. I don't know whether God exists or not, but I'm not interested in that kind of a God. I take my train ticket back. I'm not going to get on that train. I'm going to let it go on its way, and I'm going to live apart from it. And so, actually, the argument of design, which, of course, is really what we were doing here, the argument of design can tell us wonderful things about God, and indeed, there are wonderful things to know about God, and the argument of design is helpful. But the argument of design is a two-edged sword. It can go the other direction as well. And if, if you want to know why we have agnosticism in Europe, that's one of the reasons, the argument of design. If God is a designer, if he can do these beautiful things, how do I account for this? And so how is it that it's possible for us to know God? Well, let's uh, move on to the next slide. And the next slide. And the next slide. And I'm wondering if I've given you the right one. Unfortunately, I haven't. So, hmm, I must have gotten the title mixed up. Well, I will wing this one. So the next shot would have been a shot of the tsunami, uh, tearing through trees, turning cars over, so on and so forth. Oh, okay. Oh, so maybe we just have the back one back, the wrong one back there. Yeah, knowledge of the knowledge of God. Yes, I'd appreciate that. So, okay, so. Uh, the problem of evil has distorted our view of God by looking at the natural world. Now, Catholic University, of course, natural theology is a major thing. Natural theology means you can start with the natural world and you can argue to the point that you can finally talk about God. And since the natural world is common to all of us, that provides a good foundation for theology. And uh, Catholics, of course, have been working on this for 2,000 years. Uh, so they have perfected the art, so to say. And one of my professors, at the, end, the very last thing in the class, 
He said, we have become so smart that we can raise the question of God, but we cannot answer that question. Now, of course, we're going to add scripture so we know about God. But just looking at the natural world, looking at philosophy, incredibly complex philosophies, and they can raise the question of God, does God exist? But they can't answer that question. Now, for natural theology, um, oh, okay, very good. There we are. So, for natural theology, uh, people often turn to Romans 1, 18 and on. So let's go to the next slide. By the way, I'm glad I'm not in that picture. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So Romans 1, let's see what it says about what we can know about God in the natural world. Okay, for I'm not a... No, I think we've skipped a couple... Can you go back some? Yeah, go, go back a little bit further. Okay. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has, uh, let's see, has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his, what? Invisible at attributes, okay, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Okay, so can we know something about God in the natural world? Okay, we can know his wrath, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and Godhead. So the next slide, I think, will summarize that. Let's try the, okay, yeah, so we can know the wrath of God, his eternal power, uh, his deity, his Godhead. Uh, so, now, it's, it's interesting to me that theologians, by the way, it's not just Roman Catholic theologians that think we can start with the natural world. Oh, that's great, thank you. That'll be a huge help, thank you. Okay. Okay, it's not just Roman Catholic theologians that feel we can do a natural theology. You find those theologians in almost every denomination, including in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, so we aren't just simply shooting at, at, at Roman Catholics here. We're really talking about theology in general. They've simply had the longest history working on this. But what's interesting to me is that those who talk about what we can know of God in the natural world start with Romans 1.18 and they never, never go back to Romans 1.16. Now, isn't context important in studying the Bible? Okay, so let's go back to Romans 1.16 and what am I doing here? Okay, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for in it is the what? Okay, power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and for the Greek, 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Notice the, right, the righteousness of God is what? Revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Okay, so what may be known of God in the gospel? Power of God and righteousness. And that not only the power of God, the power of God unto salvation. Okay, so a personal God, a loving God that desires to, to bring salvation to us and the righteousness of God. So tell me, which would you prefer to know? Now, theologians will then go to Psalm 19 and say, well, Psalm 19 says we can start with the natural world. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, his handiwork. Uh, and so, even though maybe Romans 1 doesn't, Roman, uh, Psalm 19 does. Well, let's take a closer look. The word for God in Psalm 19, 1-6 is L. L is God generic. Like, you're a man. We don't know your name. We don't know your person. You're a man. Generic. Okay? So God generic. Now, the last part of the psalm talks about what we can know about God in his law and in his word. And uh, the word for God there is Yahweh. That's the personal God. That's the God that bends over Adam and breathes into his nostril the breath of life. And so you see the difference again. We know we can know characteristics about God. We can know God generically in the natural world, but it's when God reveals himself that we can truly know him. That's why in John, you know, we have this wonderful introduction. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us so that what? So that we could know the Father. Okay? So, so God came personally. Of course, he, he also revealed himself to the prophets, just like if we'd given you a ticket to go and, and uh, get acquainted with the artist here and you came back, so the prophets came and relayed the word of God to us so that we could know God. So the ancient philosophers prided themselves on their superior knowledge, professing themselves to be wise. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. And we saw that. You know, we could represent polytheism by looking at the natural world and finally serve the creature more than the creator. In its human wisdom, the world cannot know God. In its human wisdom, the world might know God. It's categorical, isn't it? In its human wisdom, the world cannot know God. Its wise men gather an imperfect knowledge of God from his created works. And in their foolishness, they exalt nature and the laws of nature above nature's God. So we go out and we analyze the natural world. We create a God that fits what we think we see in the natural world, and we bow down and we worship that God. You know, Isaiah talks about whittling a God out of 
wood and then trying to figure it out so it won't toddle uh, after we have done the whittling. Okay, so those who have not a knowledge of God through an acceptance of the revelation that he has made of himself in Christ will obtain only a imperfect knowledge of him in nature. And this knowledge, so far from bringing the whole being into conformity to his will, might make them idolaters. Will make them idolaters, okay? Uh, it is impossible to gain a perfect knowledge. I won't go through all of this, but the end, uh, we can know God as a personal God because Jesus Christ has come. Uh, but man, to man's unaided reason, nature's teachings cannot be but contradictory and disappointing. Only in the light of revelation can it be read aright. Through faith we understand. Now, even in Eden, Adam and Eve were dependent upon a revelation of God to know who God was. Suppose they woke up one morning and they said, who are we? Where did we come from? Why are we here? What are we supposed to do? You know, what, what's life all about? God was there that very evening to worship with them and to tell them about himself. Now, sin brought an additional element. Sin distorted God's, God's image in the natural world. And so sin made it more difficult for us to understand God in the natural world. Nature cannot teach the lessons of the great and marvelous love of God. Notice the love of God. We can know something generic about God, but we cannot know the love of God by the natural world. So, in addition to the effects of sin in the natural world, it's also affected our mind, which makes it, again, more difficult for us to understand God. So, he cannot of himself interpret nature without placing it above God. Sin has obscured his vision. So from a human standpoint, the task of obtaining knowledge of God is hopeless, for man does not have available within himself the necessary tools by which to ascertain the nature of God. And you know, when you think of it, it's not just for God, is it? It's for other humans as well. If we don't reveal ourselves to each other, you know, can we really, truly know each other? How often we sit back and look at the way a person smiles or frowns or the way they shake their head or whatever, and we get a picture of who they are, and then we get acquainted with them, and they're exactly opposite of what they felt the, what we felt they were. So, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says that just as we must reveal ourselves to each other, if we're to have knowledge of each other, so God reveals himself to us so that it's possible for us to have knowledge. A very insightful passage that psychology finally caught up with about 70 years ago. So, if we can't know God in the natural world, are we kind of like Job? Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? I'm going to go move ahead just for time here. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your, your ways are not my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher 
and your ways. To whom will you liken me? We were trying to liken God to something else, right? We were trying to liken God to the designer, liken God to the lover that gives the flowers, liken God to the engineer, and so on and so forth. Okay, so to whom will you liken me, or who shall be his equal, says the Holy One of Israel. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. In a sense, I mean, we weren't judging in a negative sense, but we were judging in the sense of, of discovery, uh, and it says his ways are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid. So neither by searching the recesses of the earth nor in vain endeavor to penetrate the mysteries of God's being is wisdom to be found. It is found in what? Humbly receiving the revelation that he's pleased to give us. And so the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever that we may observe all the works of the law. For he who forms the mountains and creates the wind, declares his thoughts to us. We were trying to guess his thoughts. He declares his thoughts to us. I've been using this illustration for years, and about two years ago I discovered this, quote, this quotation here and was quite amazed to see what Ellen White says. God's handiwork in nature is not God himself in nature. The artistic skill of human beings produces very beautiful workmanship, things that delight the eye, and these things reveal to us something of the thought of the designer. But the thing made is not the maker. It is not the work but the workman that is counted worthy of honor. So while nature is an expression of God's thought, it is not nature but the God of nature that is to be exalted. So indeed, there are characteristics about God that we can learn in the natural world, but it's when God reveals himself to us that we can know him. Now, up until the time that I went to Catholic University, uh, I thought that most theological arguments were exegetical arguments. You know, we are, this text we think says this, and this text we think says this, and somebody else says no, it says this. And so they, and so they're, you know, that's how you account for how many Protestant churches do we have, thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever, okay. When I went to Catholic University, I discovered that it's true there are exegetical arguments, no question about that, but the primary Thing that differentiates us is philosophy. In fact, Pope John Paul II said that Roman Catholicism is a synthesis between Greek thinking and Christian thinking. And he was very proud of that, you know, taking the best of Greek culture and taking the best of Christian culture and synthesizing the two together. When we have a different philosophy, we see things differently. It's like changing your glasses. You know, instead of clear glasses, I have orange-colored glasses, or red, or, or blue. And the world is different when I see it through those glasses. And so the philosophical position from which we start determines 
what we see in nature, well, in nature, but also what we see in scripture to a large extent. And so part of what we will be talking about today is how to think biblically, how to use a biblical philosophical system instead of a humanistic philosophical system. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.